0: This episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast is proudly supported by our sponsors Music Notes. You're listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello there, everyone. Today, we have a special episode for you. Way back in 2020, when the pandemic first hit, I got really excited about a bunch of projects and decided to launch a podcast called Guitar Quest. As with most people who launched the podcasts within the pandemic, I did a single episode before getting distracted with other projects. Now, the episode in question was a fantastic interview with Michael Dolce, who happens to be a session guitarist for the hit TV show, The Voice Australia, as well as touring with and doing session work for, and a list of both Aussie and international celebrity artists. Now, the interview is an absolute gem, and it was a real shame that it was only ever heard by 16 people, of which, you know, a handful of are in my immediate family, including my mum and my girlfriend. So, what we're going to do is dig this one up out of the archives and share it here with you today. Enjoy. Here we are, Michael welcome thanks for having me michael pleasure mate thank you no worries at all it's great to speak to you once again and i first met michael at a guitar clinic that he was putting on probably must have been close to 10 years ago now must have been 2011 or 2012
1: wow wow that that is a long time ago it's almost like a lifetime ago
0: (laughs) it is like a lifetime ago but what I wanted to do, Michael, you are like, um, you know, in terms of session guitar plays in Australia, you are right up there where the action is. So, you know, Michael, you, you're hot off the, the filming of the the recent season of The Voice. Is that correct?
1: That's right, mate. Yeah. Well, as we speak, we've still got the grand final to go. But, um, yeah, that that's pretty much the last show of the season. And, yeah, just looking forward to a little bit of a rest, you know, because it's pretty full on, you know, once we get into it. Yeah, so looking forward to a little bit of a break, you know.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, how has it been the experience? Um, Obviously, you know, no live audiences and the whole COVID situation has changed the way the show has been put together. Not that we want to talk about the voice um, too much, but what's the experience been like this year as opposed to previous years?
1: Yeah, it's it's been really interesting, Michael. I mean, we're lucky enough to have an audience in the uh, preliminary rounds, which are the blind auditions, the battle rounds. Uh, the COVID hit and we had to stop rolling the show. So we basically had a couple months off there in the middle, and we rescheduled the remaining rounds at a later date. And they were all pre-recorded shows uh, with no audience, as as you mentioned. It was quite an interesting process. I mean, we, I mean, the show had to basically reinvent it, you know, uh, re- reinvent the wheel, so to speak, because there was so much. That relies on the audience, and obviously the two coaches that couldn't be in Australia, so hence the screens on the seat, and and you know Boy George and Kelly Rowland um, having to do their thing, you know, live from overseas, which was uh, really interesting. As far as the the vibe was concerned, it was really strange because when we were recording the shows, it just it felt like a rehearsal, so it was it was really hard to sort of get into. It wasn't hard, but it was just yeah, it was for me I sort of there wasn't as much there wasn't as much pressure on my shoulders knowing that the shows weren't live for some strange reason I was quite relaxed. But, you know, it doesn't rule out the fact that you still gotta perform and make sure you nail the parts. So that still goes on in my head, but a lot more relaxed. You yeah, know, uh, with with everyone on set and yeah, it was just it was just a weird time, you know. So we're just hoping that, you know, for the next season it all clears up and we're back to normal because, you know, having the, having the audience there does pump you up and, you know, gets that good adrenaline, you know, running What's in your veins, complaint? which is good. Yeah. Well, wow.
0: Uh- We've been watching at home. We've been really loving and enjoying it. And I get to point and go, "Hey, hey,
1: there's Michael." <laughs> it's, it's rare that you see me at the back there. They, they, they're doing their best to hide us. I don't know why. Nah, they're pretty good actually this year. I mean, we've got a great crew, you know, and a modern young crew, you know. So, hence, you know, the show's looking great. You know, it's, I think it's looking best than ever, better than ever. And yeah, it's 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 just a pleasure to be part of, you know. So, but yeah, it's it's not it's not a, a a reoccurring thing that you get to see me on TV every week or every show because um, you know there there are elements to the show that you know don't need to be seen and you know I'm probably one of them. So <laughs> it's, like,
0: it's like playing Where's Wally.
1: Yeah, exactly <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, good. Well, um, moving on to you know discovering how you actually. Created and got to the position you're in. So, how did you go about structuring the lifestyle that you currently had? Was it intentional, or did you just fall into it?
1: um Look, as far as uh, you know, becoming a session guitar player, you know that that was something that I sort of I always wanted to like. For me, my goal and my dream was always to be a guitar player. You know, even when I was doing cabinet making at the time, and you know, working in the factory you know, at seven am till. 5 p.m. or whatever it was, I'd always have my guitar instrumental music on and listen to that every day, and you know, that would inspire me. I'd get home and, you know, I'd do my practice. As soon as i get home at 6, I'd have my dinner, you know, clean up, and then I'd jump in my room till midnight and practice six hours. And I did that pretty much religiously for about five years. Yeah, right up to the point where I finished my trade, and that definitely was a good thing for me because it, it you know it pretty much established my foundations uh, with my technique and it just yeah it made me want to strive for the for the goal that I had placed you know at an earlier age, uh, which was to be a full-time guitar player. so yeah, but my my you know my what would you call it, my luck had changed, you know, and had that opportunity when Hugh Wilson, as you mentioned in, in your intro, I had the opportunity to play for Hugh. Hugh won the whole Star Search thing back in the 90s, early 90s, and for me that was a full-time role, so I, I had the opportunity to leave my job and slide into the full-time musician role. That pretty much lasted a couple of years, but um, then it all died down. I had to start sort of looking for the job, for another job, and I've always been brought up to, you know, not lay around and, you know, Earn your money, basically. You know, my dad had two jobs. He worked hard, worked seven days, you know, to support the family. And that pretty much was instilled, in, you know, in my myself and my two brothers. So, you know, I didn't feel right about staying at home and, you know, just playing guitar. I had to sort of, you know, work on getting another job. And, you know, I, I became a cleaner there for, for a year. I'd work from, you know, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., then I worked, I started my own car cleaning business, which is called Pro Car Care. A friend of mine actually started the business, but I know I was working for him, you know, earning an income washing cars. It was a mobile car service. And then he offered me a part in the business where I could just start my own clientele out west. Um, and I did that. and I. Got myself a trailer, and you know, I just remember the day I put out about ten thousand pamphlets, and that was it. It had me going for the next three years, and I established a quite a um, a healthy business. I had a few guys working for me at the same time. That took up a lot of time during the day. Start six a.m., finish at seven p.m. in summer, so it didn't leave me much time to play guitar. But I wanted to get out of that and. I just left the business, I gave it to my friend, he um, he took it over. You know, I started working at uh, Bunnings, which was called the Hardway House at the time, um, and I was working there on the weekends, which gave me time during the week to establish a teaching studio and get back into what I wanted to do, which was obviously play guitar. Then I got offered a job in a music store called Lombardo Music by uh, a beautiful man called Ross Lombardo, who has passed away since and his brother, Vince Lombardo, who, you know, taught me so much about the music industry alone because they were pretty huge in the industry, and Vince himself is still going. He's an amazing guitar player. I uh, love the guy. I lets so much of him. I would have the opportunity to work with Vince on a Wednesday in the music store, and, and he really showed me, you know, how to basically... I still, to this day, I think he's got one of the best tones I've ever heard in my life. He still, you know, he used to love working with gear and we used to change speakers over and he'd try, you know, this speaker and this Mesa Boogie amp, but then he'd try, you know, there was a lot of that going on, you know, which taught me a lot about tones and, and sounds and, and how intricate he would get about just trying to get that right tone, you know, and he taught me how to restring my guitars properly. He taught me how to tune my guitars properly, how to maintain them. I found that that was my grounding in understanding about gear, you know what I mean? And apart from the playing, he'd always play, and I used to love him to play. I do remember, you know, in that environment, he used to throw me into some of his gigs, which were reading gigs, and I used to dread I remember the first time he threw me into, and I, I'm not a strong reader, you know what I mean? I know how to read, but I'm not a strong reader. And he threw me into a uh, a reading gig. And oh my goodness, you know it was just that from that point, I mean, I had so much respect for him and Ross, but it really cemented that at the uh, level that he was at, you know what I mean, where he could just turn up and just read dots, you know, and it was just, and I couldn't do that, you know, I, just, I basically fell on my face and and I felt so bad because I felt I let, I let him down and, and, and he was so encouraged and he was like, mate, don't worry, you know, who cares, you know, like this is the way you're, you're going to learn, it's the only way you're going to learn, And uh, but that really, it sort of scared me too, you know, it was like, I don't know if I'm that type of player, you know, I just don't want to be reading music. At gigs, you know, because I just don't—I'm not confident enough to do that. And I felt like it was too late for me to start learning, which is not not the case, you know. You can learn learn to read music or play guitar at any age. So, you know, in those days, being in the shop alone, they had a very successful business and a massive teaching school. And you know, I had uh, some lessons when I was younger. Uh, my mum took me some, some guitar lessons. Um, and my guitar teacher at the time, Mr. Kelly, he taught me to read music, you know, at basic level. You know, So I probably, you know, if we were going to compare levels or books, I started on uh, Mel Bay's, let's say, but it was actually Cole's Method, book one, which is pretty much equivalent to Mel Bay's. And we got through that, and he was always giving me extra sheet music to learn, to read. But then we started on the Berkeley book, and he got me through that, like I probably got halfway. And then I sort of, I didn't give up. I think I just had enough at the time. I think I would have been probably about seven or eight years old. Wow. And I was sort of, you know, as an eight-year-old, you want to be doing other things. So, you know, I, I've always kept that part of my learning. Obviously, doing the voice, that came in, you know, so handy. 'Cause I, I do believe if I didn't learn that that part of my um repertoire, so to speak, i I probably wouldn't have taken on the voice or any other gigs that, you know, involves reading. You know, reading at Vince's level is another ball game. You know, that is, you know, Rex that you've got the Rex Goes, Clive Lendage, um, all these big players, you know, Simon Patterson who was on Hey Out Saturday, these guys are just they can read, you know, anything like anything. You just scroll in front of it. I'm not that player. I'm totally not that player. And being on the voice, which is great, we the band there are a couple of us in the band that are really strong readers. Uh but myself, you know, and a couple of the other guys, you know, can read, but I wouldn't call us the best of readers. But actually I shouldn't say that. They are great readers. I'm probably the worst in that, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. And we always joke about that. But um I'm more of a visual, you know, I like to hear things, play it back. So if there's certain lines within the music, I'll memorise the line when it comes up to that point, I'll play it. Uh, that's how I do things, you know. And then obviously once I get back to the shop era, I was quite, uh, I was very grateful, especially to Ross because not having any qualifications in that, I really wanted to start teaching You know, and and get into that side of things. And Ross was the only one that gave me the opportunity to teach at the school there at Lombardo Music. He, because he he would always hear me play in the shop. And he just turned around one day and said, Michael, do you know? I was, I felt, I didn't feel right to ask him for the teaching job. But he came up to me and said, Do you want to teach here? And I was just like blown away. I thought my Christmases came at once. I was so grateful. I was like, Ross. Are you sure? He's of course, Michael. You're playing the shop, mate. You're fantastic. You know, he was just very encouraging. So was Vince. So he offered me the teaching job there, and I had the teaching job there for a few years, probably about four years. Uh, and I'd work in the shop during the week. You know, and I was. It was like a dream come true for me. That was it for me. I was happy with that. You know, I was. I didn't. I. I mean, I still wanted to play guitar, obviously, and I was playing in covers bands, uh, but. You know, having that stability for me was was a great thing. You know, I was happy with that. Then obviously opportunities arose once I started, you know, dabbling in different covers bands. And um, even in that period and before I even got to the shop, there was a time period of probably I'd say probably at six months where I was trying to get another job after I finished my car cleaning uh, business and in in that time I would um, grab one of the street magazines at the time which were for free and I'd go to the back section and look up you know guitarists wanted uh, for covers bands uh, working covers bands and I'd apply for all of them and they would throw certain songs to me to learn I would learn them inside out I would Learn the track. I'd make sure my sound was pretty much almost um, identical, uh, if not the same. I'd make sure I'd learnt the song in semitone down, semitone up. I would learn how to solo over the whole song. I'd over-prepare myself, just knowing um, that if I was to be put in that situation where they put me on the spot, I was prepared. So my thought process was I'm not going in there to jam. I'm going in there to get the gig. Okay, and that's how I've always, that mentality has always been something that I've kept in my whole approach to, you know, getting, you know, achieving my goals, so to speak. So I'd go in for the audition. I'd have my sounds down. And, you know, nine times out of ten, I'd get the the audition. And uh, it did come to a point where I was sort of overlapping gigs and Um, So I had to sort of let a couple of things go. But what that helped with, what that actually helped with was uh, getting the opportunity to sit back and having these bands contact me to fill in when they needed me because they saw me play in the audition and they saw how prepared I was and uh, I was all over the songs. So all of a sudden I had... These gigs that were coming in on the weekend, and I was working solidly. You know, I was working three, four nights a week at that point. And then the the the, the music shop thing came, kicked in, and I was just like, "This is fantastic!" I get to work during the day, during the night, teaching the weekend. So I was was full on. Always had the guitar on me. It was where I wanted to be. You know, I had all my bases covered, and that was it. You know, I didn't have any intentions to you know, become a superstar or anything like that, Um, the only thing that I always strived for and I still to this day have at the back of my head is just becoming that solo artist, you know, the instrumentalists that um, people can enjoy listening to. You know, all I want is and all I've ever wanted is just respect from my peers and, you know, to be respected and acknowledged, you know, as a guitar player. Even at you know where I'm at at the moment, and this never changes (laughs) to anyone, regardless of where you're at, at, yeah, in that point in your plane, you will never change your goals. I mean, you will never stop. At once you reach a goal, you you set another goal, and you just keep wanting to climb, you know, that ladder. Uh, And that's how I feel to this day. You know, I still practice every day. I do two hours in the morning. I get up really early. I get up at 5 a.m. I do two hours before my kids get up, and work on things that I feel that I need to work on. Um, the two hours is really a maintenance thing as well, but I do utilize those two hours, um, you know, coming up with new concepts for my playing, um, and that excites me. You know? But apart from that, um, yeah, there's a lot of lot of a lot of you know roadblocks and. And mountains that I've had to climb, so to speak, and I still do. You know, even at this point in my career, you're still fighting. You know, to maintain your career and and keep it, you know, oiled and maintained and consistent. Uh, that never stops. You know, it, it. You know, the rumor of oh, once you get to a certain point, uh, that's it. It runs itself. It's not true. You know, if you if you count the amount of guitarists in Australia alone. You know, there's guitar players that would, you know, play me, you know, under the ground. You know, that, that absolutely crap all over me. You know, and they haven't had that opportunity. You know, and hopefully they do. Um, but, you know, I was at the at the right place at the right time. You know, working with once I started getting into the covers scene, I worked with um, a lot of a lot of guys that eventually became. Uh, Top notch producers, you know, and musical directors, and I feel that the way I presented my brand and I presented myself by being prepared, reliable, respectful—that's what's carried me through to the next point of my career. Which, if you want to see it as the higher profile sort of work, so yes, there is an element of being, you know, at the right place at the right time. But you know, it doesn't deny the hard work that I've put into maintaining and trying to sort of establish myself in the industry. Um, and like I said, I never, I never was the one to sort of chase it. It sort of just came to me by being in those situations and filling in for, for Joe Blow's band and and so and so on. You know, so um, yeah, those earlier moments in my career pretty much established my foundations to where I'm at now, you know, and I'm very grateful to those guys that gave me the opportunity, especially all those covers bands. I still play covers and I feel that that's where my home is, you know, where where the people that have really supported me, you know, they're the guys that I keep as my priority and, you know, on top of the list. You know, the profile stuff comes in, it goes, and I am very grateful for it, but um, it's the guys that are doing the covers gigs that are really keeping me alive you know and giving me the work and you know i'm very grateful to those people yeah sorry i just went on a rant there
0: that's all all fantastic stuff and and really really valuable insights coming there that you know whether people are just casual hobby guitar players or whether they want to be you know the next michael dolce voice guitarists um who are aspiring through the ranks just to hear your own reflections and your journey and important points like you know, you you went in there with the intention of getting the gig, not with the intention of jamming. Just like little gems like that, I think everyone can learn from. In, and, and you know, success is when- yeah. And
1: I, I think if you put if you put the passion before the, well, I wouldn't call it the greed, but uh, you know, the super the stardom. You know, if that's if that's what your intentions are, great. You know, I I highly encourage you to do that. Um, but you know, reality is is that. What makes you different to everybody else? You know, that's what you have to ask yourself. What makes me different as a guitar player to, you know, you know, such and such down the road? You know, how, why am I going to get the gig over him? You know, or what is it about me that's going to maintain my position in this band? You know, because as the story goes, you know, you can, you know, I know so many players that keep saying to me, "Oh man, I've done so many gigs," you know, and but it's, that's that's not the point. There, the point is, you know, I've done a lot of gigs as well, but it's the ones that you maintain, the ones that you keep, that are the important ones. You know, you you know, a hundred gigs, but you know, how many can you retain? You know, and how many are you still working with? You know, that is the key. You know, it's it's keeping those relationships healthy and doing the right thing by everybody in the industry, that's important, you know, and I live by that.
0: Fantastic. So obviously maintaining your networks, building up, you know, the biggest, the reputation as the go-to guy, the guy that delivers, who's organised, who's professional, um yeah. who's the job done over a, a period of years and, you know, not having to find a new band all the time just because, you, you know, you're, you're not delivering or you're burning bridges or things like that.
1: Well, that, that's the thing, you know, it, it is important to, uh, just to maintain that brand because when you're up there on the stage, you are presenting your business, your brand, you know, regardless of whether, not just within the band but the people that are watching you, you know, and that's important as well. Yeah. What was the biggest
0: hurdle you've had to overcome in your music career or, your, you know, rise to where you are to get to this point?
1: Look, well, the 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 thing for me, Michael, has always been, um, you know, even at the level that I'm playing at now. Look, you never learn to, or you do learn to control your nerves, and you know, in those situations. But the biggest hurdle for me has always been anxiety, and obviously not believing in what I do. You know, for the voice gig, for example, that it took the musical director three months to convince me to do the gig because I just thought I wasn't the right guy, and. I was just getting anxious talking to him about it, you know, when he offered it to me. You know, all these thoughts were going in my head while he was talking to me, thinking, man, I'm not the right guy for this. There's no way I'll freak out. It's just, you know, no way am I taking this gig. And sure enough, you know, um, he he definitely pursued it because I had done a lot of work with Scott Applin, who's the musical director on the show. He did a lot of stuff on the – or wrote a lot of songs for the ABC Kids stuff. And I was in his studio nearly every week, uh, put, placed down guitars, um, and we did a lot of touring together. So he knew what I was capable of and he knew what I was like in the studio. And, you know, he called me up and he was like, you know, I want you there. And and I was like, no, I don't think I'm, I'm the right guy. I'm, you know, sorry, man, like, no, I just can't do it. And, you know, we had, you know, copious amount of conversations that pretty much ended always with me saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to do it. And then he'd convince me somehow and then, you know, the next day I'd be doing it and then next conversation I'd be like, no, you know what, I don't want to do it. But he pursued it and I'm very grateful, you know, for him to do that because, look, the easy option is to run away, you know. And the biggest lesson I learnt from this whole scenario of being thrown into you know the Voice, which is is a beast of a show, and the amount of learning and um, concentration, and focus that you need for a show like this is just, you know, incredibly hard. I did a lot of one song performances on Sunrise. I played, you know, with Delta Goodrem. We did a whole bunch of shows. Uh, that didn't bother me as much as you know being thrown in a show like The Voice. The anxiety of of being on a show like that, and even, pre, even though I say, you know, playing with Delta and stuff was okay, I, I still had the anxiety happening. You know, and that's, you know, it's a really hard thing. I mean, the people out there that are listening um, to this would know exactly what I'm talking about. That will never go. The nerves never go. The adrenaline never goes. You just learn to deal with it it becomes part of your brand, it becomes part of you, you know, the same way you would learn a chord on the guitar, you teach yourself to accept that this is part of you and this is what's gonna happen when the song starts, you know, like on The Voice, you know, every song regardless. you know, we play what, about 320 songs a season, you know, you know as the click starts and you hear the count the one two three four the heart starts racing but you know i've learned to sort of just relax you know drop my shoulders take a deep breath and it's almost calming you know up to the point then you start playing the song and then i'm in my element you know it's it's mainly the build to perform in that song it's not so much performing the song it's the build to get to that point which you know cripples me you know it's you know it's you can I know there's help out there and you can get a whole bunch of help and stuff like that. I do feel that i've I've helped myself a lot by you know coming up with my own techniques to deal with this this you know this monkey on my shoulders, so to speak. but it's become part of me, and I'm glad because it gives me a bit of edge too when I'm playing. Um I like it. But yeah, it that is definitely one of the hardest things I've ever had to battle, and I still battle it. Uh, but like I said, I've learned to deal with it, and you know, it, it's just part of the part of the game, you know. And, and I know a lot of musicians out there are suffering, you know, with it, you know. And it's just that's the way we are. We're creative people, and we want to be perfect about what we do. And you know, it's there's so many things that go through your head, you know. One for me, you know is these are the things that are going through my head, you know, before you perform a song. Okay, Michael, don't stuff this up. Okay. Secondly, Michael, make sure you do your patch changes correctly. Make sure you don't you know, take your eyes off the chart. Focus, you know, don't get too complacent. Um, make sure your page turn. You know, all these things that are going through my 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 head before the song is, you know, performed. And it's weird because I know that once I play the song, I mean, I'm going to get to the other end of it and it's going to be, everything's going to be fine. I know that. And I keep telling myself that, but it's that the build to get to that point and all these negative thoughts that are going through your head. That is, you know, quite crippling, but um, yeah, you know what power through it and I cannot complain. You know, it's not as if this thing's going to kill me. You know, it's, and you know, I had a conversation with Peter Northcote, I've just lost you there for a second. I had a, an interesting, you know, little lunch with Pete Northgate, and I I rang him up and I was like, you know, do you mind if I come and have a chat here, you know, about about all this stuff? And you know, Peter Northgate's a legend, dairy session guy from from Australia. He's he's done it all. You know, he he's done it all, and. Um, We had a great chat, you know, and and the thing that really stuck out to what he, out of everything we spoke about, he said to me, um, you know what, Michael, he goes, goes, who cares if you stuff up, you know, nobody cares, mate, you're not going to die from it, you know, and you're not going to, you're not going to harm anyone else by making a mistake, you know, it's just like, and I was like, yeah, so why am I getting so worked up, you know? Obviously, on a show like The Voice, you don't want to be making mistakes because there's an expectation. You just don't make mistakes. So, but in general, you know, when you're playing around town, or you know, it's just I always think about that, you know, and that comment, and it really helps. It helps me with you know, sort of just going, yeah, what are you, what are you worried about, you idiot? You know, just play guitar. But um, yeah, it's that. That's part of me, man. And as I said, and I've probably spoke a little bit too much about it, but. Um, Hopefully someone can get, you know, if anyone wants to have a chat to me about it, um, I'm more than happy to, you know, have a chat, you know, Uh, just email me or, yeah, whatever. Hopefully I'll be down at, um, it's it's the Melbourne Guitar Academy, is that right, Michael?
0: That's correct.
1: Um, Hopefully I can come down and and we can do a a Q&A session and I can show you some footage and uh, talk about the back scenes of the voice and, and show you exactly what goes on quite a, a talking point amongst parents, students alike and teachers and, you know, everyone sort of comes to these sessions. So, so hopefully I can get then down to Melbourne once all this craziness clears up.
0: As soon as the COVID situation over, we'll definitely have you down. Um, yeah. Now, I'm just going to pause the interview for a second, guys, for a quick message from our wonderful sponsors at Music Notes. So teachers and students everywhere deserve a sheet music experience that impresses, and that's precisely what you get from MusicNotes.com, the largest online retailer of quality sheet music. Now it's all about the attention to detail with MusicNotes because they're run by musicians for musicians. So MusicNote hold every piece in their catalogs to the highest standard for the best experience, whether it's in the practice room right up to the performance. Now, Music Notes has the perfect arrangement for every musician and every purchase is available right away. There's no shipping, they never run out of print and the transcriptions are always available in the right key. So simply print from the Music Notes website or use the free Music Notes app to view your sheet music anywhere, anytime. And as an exclusive to our listeners, Music Notes are offering 25% off e-gift cards for a limited time only. So visit musicnotes.com slash top to claim this very special exclusive offer and there's no code required. But I think, Michael, you know, just listening to that and hearing, you know, your own struggles with the anxiety and, you know, questioning yourself, I think, you know, things like imposter syndrome and and that, um, you know, so many musicians get that, but they, and that's what defeats them or that's what stops them from taking that next step. So I think it's really valuable for, you know, anyone listening to be able to hear that, you know, people at the top still have these same doubts, the same doubts and fears that, you know, the people who are on the way up have. It's just that they you know, like you said, have your own coping mechanisms or you you got help about it or you've somehow taken the opportunity and you've overcome that little voice in your head. Uh, And, you know, that's the difference sometimes between the people that make it and the people that don't or the people that get the good opportunities and the people that don't. And uh, I think it's wonderful that you've shared that.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. The, uh, The other thing I just want to add to that is that, and I did mention this before I went on that little spiel there about the anxiety, was the easier option for me, and and a lot of other players out there, and I know this for a fact, is to say no, I don't want to do it. You know, I was lucky enough to have someone like Scott Applin to push me to do it, because I'd be sitting here today having a totally different conversation with you, you know, if I didn't do the show. So very grateful of nine years of probably the best you know career I could ever ask for, uh, and I'm you know. Once the show decides to finish up, you know, I'm I'm a happy man. You know, like I I feel like I've I've achieved my goals in that session world, not so much in the guitar player world, but the session world. Um, and I'm very grateful. So you know, advice to the young players out there that, that do suffer with anxiety, there is you know a lot of um a lot of help out there. You know, if you need it uh, to overcome these things, but my advice to you is just fight it. It's easy to overcome and learn to control it. There's, and like I said, the easy option is to say no, you know. Even, I don't know whether, you know, you guys have your your yearly concerts, Michael, I'm not too sure, Uh, but even in those situations, I, I know for a fact, you know, a lot of the kids, you know, do have the anxiety thing and, you know, uh, and it's easier for them to say, look, I don't want to do it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's the build to that point, you know, and once you do it and you get to that other end, you sort of look back and you go, gee, I'm so glad I did that. That was so cool. And, you know, and I and I guarantee you, once you finish that song, you want to play another one straight after it because, you know, you're so like, oh, you know, that wasn't so hard after all. And I love that feeling. You know, finishing the song. Now I want to start another song. You know, and, and it's just it's that frame of mind. You know that we've sort of got to overcome. You know, we've got to we've got to enjoy it from the point we start the song to the end. You know, and even the build up. You know, learning to do that. It is a hard thing, but you know we'll all get through it. Not so hard after all.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. Um, well, you you just mentioned before, like. Um, you want to explore the guitar playing world a bit more as well and and build up that element of your career. So, you know, what's left for you currently or beyond The Voice and where do you want to go next with your guitar
1: journey? Well, for me, you know, recording another album, you know, to the way that I'm playing now. I mean, my first album was recorded nine years ago, coming up to ten years. It's a a long time ago. Uh, My playing has changed a lot um, since then. I do want to record another album and, you know, and do – do that thing that, you know, instrumental guitarists do, you know. Like I said, I don't want to rule the world, um, but I do want to be playing that, you know, and and immerse myself in that environment of instrumental guitar. Um, you know, doing that, doing continuing with my masterclasses, I love doing those, I love doing the clinics, you know, the Q&As, everything, you know, which is obviously a part of all that. Um, but, yeah, my priority and my goal is still to, to pursue the full-time instrumental thing. And I, I, I know that'll happen because, you know, it, it is a time thing for me, you know, when when there's so much time consumed by a show like The Voice, you know, six months of the year, and then I just pretty much go straight into a masterclass as I normally do, but obviously this year it's a little bit different. But, yeah, that's where my head's at, Michael. So who knows? Let's hope. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. Now, you know, you talked about gear and the importance of gear before. Um, You've got a wonderful relationship with Charles Celia Guitars. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that relationship and how you've gone about working with brands?
1: Yeah, look, I've I've played Charles Guitars for 22 years now. So um, we've built our businesses, our brands together. So we've seen each other, each other's careers um, blossom into something else, you know, along the line. So that's You know, we're friends before we are, you know, guitar enthusiasts. We, you know, I respect he's like a brother to me. We've spent a lot of time together, you know, working on designs of guitars and we do have another guitar that's coming out, which is my my real signature guitar Um, and I'm very excited about that. That's going to be called the Lyra Um, and hopefully we'll have that out next you know, six months or so, ready for the Melbourne Guitar Show if it goes ahead next March, and though yeah, the guitars speak for themselves. You know, I'm very, very, very lucky to have found Charles. Um, that was a, an interesting, <laughs> an interesting find because he he'd come into the shop at Lombardo Music when I was working there at the time, and he bought in one of his guitars that he made, and the rest is history. I asked him. He was like, yeah, I'll build my own guitars, and I thought, yep, I want one. So he built me a guitar and I still play them to this very day. Um, I don't play any other guitars. It's all Charles Celia. Um apart from the guitar side of things, um, I am very lucky to have found Andrew Farnham from Independent Music in um, Queensland, the distributors of the Fractal Audio Axe FX units. I've been playing those on the show pretty much since day or oh, season two actually, I would say day one. Uh, season two is when I started playing the uh XFX's and have ever since. The units are just like next level amp modelling. You can, I've, I've used it for nine years, I know the units inside out. I don't use an amp on the show, i go direct, everything's direct, um, and it's phenomenal. The effects, the amp modelling, Full stereo in your in-ears is amazing. Uh, makes me play. I feel it makes me play better. I feel it better. I don't miss an amp when it's behind me. Um, though when I do my gigs around town, um, I'm very, I was once again, very fortunate to have a, a deal with Fender. Um, I'm endorsed in their new Tone Master amplifiers, which are absolutely amazing. The price is just ridiculously low. Uh, they weigh nothing they are an amp model of a twin so the only thing this amp does it sounds like a twin does do anything else right it looks like a twin it sounds like a twin and only weighs probably about 10 kilos it's ridiculously light yeah. um, and i use that around town with my fractal audio stomp box goes into going directly into the front of the amp um, and that's my sound for cover gigs and and I love it, and I use those amps in my, um, you know, my masterclass tours all the time when I'm doing the stuff in the shops. That's the amp I plug into and the amp I play. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to be part of this team of great makers and, and brands. And I also endorse um, Hawk Pigs, who are a UK um, company. They make these amazing pigs. Here. See that? It's that there.
0: Put a screenshot on the social media for all the people that are, yeah. Who are listening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's it there. Okay, so um, hawk Picks. Now, they, it's really interesting. When when I, I was asked if I wanted to try these picks out by a good friend of mine, Mark Thompson in the UK, and I've never been a pick guy like, I just use anything, really. I just, I don't really care. But, you know, once they sent these to me, and this is not a selling point, it's because it blew me away how consistent these picks are. First thing about these picks, they don't wear out. They're made from, a, I believe it's called Cassine or Cassian or whatever whatever the composite is, and it's it's supposed to resemble tortoiseshell. Not that I've ever played a tortoiseshell pick, but the tone that comes off the pick is quite warm, it's really smooth, it's just a beautiful attack, you don't get any chirping like a lot of the other picks um, out there, like I said it doesn't wear out, um, and it just really, gl- it just glides between the strings, so I'm not much of a picker, I'm more of, I do a lot of sort of economy picking where I sort of sweep a couple of strings and pick a couple of things and but I could not believe how easy it was to glide between the strings. And I was just like, okay, this maybe I'm just sort of, you know, you know maybe it was a psychological thing. It's a new pick. It feels good. Picked up my other pick. I'm thinking, nah, yeah, I feel really clumsy on this pick. So get back on the hawk pick. Fantastic. You know. And I couldn't believe how much it contributed to my playing. So the other thing they do is that they've got like a, a right bevel and a left bevel. So that goes with your picking style. Which is quite strange. i never even heard. I don't know if you can actually see. see yeah. That. Wow. You sort yep. of see that? It's hard to sort of see in there, but it's quite a, it's quite a, a, a bevel on that. So basically, on that edge there, on that edge, when I pick down, it's obviously it's a, there's a nice bevel there. That sort of when you strike the string, is it, there's hardly any um uh, a atta- oh, not, attack, it's not the word. It's not it's it's the words. string. Yeah. Yeah. Really, not much resistance within the pick, as you mentioned, but a great a great addition to my plane. and I've been playing plane for the last I think, three years now, never never changed since then. They do all sorts of shapes and sizes and thicknesses, but that was the winner for me. Just from the word go, it wasn't even a question of whether I should just trial them as soon as I tried it. I was, I was happy with it. That was it. The rest is history. But that is my happy family of of gear, you know and and just beautiful people to deal with, you know, and that's and that's what I love, you know, very respectful, very helpful twenty four seven, you know help, I call it the helpline. <laughs> these guys whenever I need help, you know at midnight when I'm on the voice, you know and I need to speak about uh, a little program change or something's not happening on XFX, I'll ring Andrew Farnum. yeah you know, and of course he picks it up. <laughs> he knows it. He knows that I'm calling him at eleven p.m. Yeah, I mean that it's serious, you know. So yeah, he and he knows I'll be on set. You know, I would never call him otherwise. But but yeah, just great guys to deal with, mate. Awesome.
0: Fantastic. Well, we've only got a couple more questions left.
1: Yeah, sure. Mate.
0: But with the uh, you know aspiring guitarists who are listening in, what are three things an aspiring guitarist needs to know or work on if they have the ambitions of being a professional player or, you know, a semi-professional hobby player enthusiast?
1: Okay. First up, the most important thing for me is be yourself, right? Do not – don't be scared to be yourself because that's the only thing that is going to make you different to everybody else. If you've got to be cloning or, you know, wanting to sound like someone else, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to – you know, explore other players and be inspired by other players and take on their ideas. And that that I definitely, you know, one hundred percent am behind. Uh, I think it's where you take it to become your own person, mm-hmm. your own voice on the guitar, which is really important. You know, don't rely on YouTube too much. Um, don't use your eyes too much to learn things. You know, take take things from YouTube and learn certain things with your ears as opposed to your eyes because um, I find and I have found um, when I was learning things, that oh, I mean, we didn't have YouTube back then, um, I'd have to learn things by my, with my ears and then I'd learn them thinking it was the right thing. It never sounded quite right but it was close enough and then obviously when I get to see the actual guitarist perform it, it was totally different, you know. So I felt that I'd come up with my own way of doing things and I developed that. So that's really important. Um, secondly, you know, um, there's there's 10 things, okay? I, I, I'm just going to flick across here, Michael, and I'm not going to call this sheet up because I use this in my Q&As, uh, which I find really important. Um, actually, I could probably start on that page and just flick. Can you still see me? I can still see you, yeah. Okay. Um, so the list is... Ten things that require zero talent. That's what I call this, right? <laughs> and the ten things are, you know, being on time, you know, work ethic, effort, you know, showing energy, body language, passionate, being respectful, you know, doing the extra thing that's required for the go the extra mile, you know, when you when you get put into a situation, you know, preparing yourself, being able to take. Um, Direction, you know, being coachable—that is so important. You know, attitude. Um, the ten things that I always put out there, you know, and it—you it, don't need talent for that. And this just doesn't apply to guitar, and I'm talking about you know anything that you pursue in your in your career. You know, whether it be a cabinet maker, as I was—I'm a cabinet maker by trade. Um, whether it be a truck driver, you know, there there has to be those elements. You know, if you want to maintain your brand and and you know become a successful you know business person and you know in whatever you pursue, that that's really important. Um, these are pretty much the things that I have always lived by and followed in my career, and I've and I still do, and I find that's what works for me um, and works for everybody else. So, you know, you can take the advice or. You know, come up with your own way of doing things, which is still okay as well. Uh, I'm not here to preach, you know, my way is the only way. That is not the truth. Um, But, yeah, every person needs to find their way of maintaining their business and, you know, hopefully create a a successful one. (laughs) Spit that one out. Uh, Yeah, so hopefully that's answered your question there, Michael. Yeah
0: and you know over delivering value we asked for 3 things we got 10 so that was absolutely wonderful. Yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah there you go. You've obviously had a couple of teachers over the years and you know have reached up to other session musicians and and people who you'd consider you know more experienced in certain areas. Yeah. It's like the most important lesson you've learned along the way.
1: I think the uh, the, the lesson that always comes is just be yourself. You know be yourself. Going back to the ten, the 10 items on the list, you know that the, the the lessons, you know, of trying to sort of be something that you're not, is is important. You know, and I think just be yourself. You know, that's important, um, and just love what you do. Earlier on in the piece, you know, uh, when I was starting my career, you know, I I wasn't enjoying myself as much, you know, because for me it was all about um I need to get better, or I need to get better, I was putting too much pressure on myself and I was excuse me, and I was losing the most important thing which was to love what I was doing. You know. So, you know, never lose that. You know, if you're if you're a guitar player and there or any instrument that you play, you know, if that's what you want to do, don't make it a job. You know, it's a passion. Just keep that in mind all the time because that's if you put something else before the passion, then uh, I feel that things might not go, you know, the way you really want them to go. And ultimately, you know, we want to be enjoying ourselves when we play you know, instruments and, and having a good time. That That's important. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you
0: so much. And my final question, which will hopefully tie in with a lot of that, is yeah. if you go back in time and, you know, speak to 15-year-old Michael as he's sitting on his bed in his bedroom about to start practicing guitar, what would you go back in time and, and give a younger version of yourself the advice on? Um, okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay, I know the first thing. first thing would be, okay, Michael, you're 15 years old, guitar playing will not pick up the chicks. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to get good at your instrument if you want to become a full-time musician. Um, that's the first thing I'd say to young Michael. The second thing would be, um, as I mentioned, you know, don't take it so seriously, you know. Just love what you're doing. As far as the plane and the curve, I feel like I've gone a long way around because predominantly I am self-taught and I've had to teach myself a lot of things, you know, Uh, and I would never change that, you know. Even though I know I've gone the long way around and I probably could have got to the same point a little bit quicker, um, I would never change that. And going back to, you know, so all the all the players out there that are listening, work things out on your own, you know, that that's important too. You know, if you've got a great teacher, which I'm sure you have, um, you know, been at the uh, Melbourne Guitar Academy, you know, Michael, you teach yourself, right? Yeah, awesome. Couldn't ask for a better teacher. Your teacher is there to try and inspire you, you know. Be respectful and, you know, And listen to what the the teachers have got to say because they're there because they want to teach you, they want to sort of guide you in the right direction. So having them speak words of wisdom, you know, don't just sort of throw it over your shoulder. Really listen to what they've got to say because I guarantee you, you know, if you're not listening now, you know, maybe in three years' time you'll think back and go, you know what, I remember Michael saying that. I should have listened to him back then. So um you know taking advice um and and constructive criticism is a must you know and that's one thing i didn't do you know back in the days i think i was very um what's the word i was so into what i was doing i every time i'd hear constructive criticism from someone else you know i'd be like you don't know what you're talking about you know and i wish i'd listened to those people because all they were saying is like you don't have to play a million notes to be a good player. You know, slow down and listen to the music and get melodic about it and add some feel into it. Where I was so technical, I just it was always a million miles an hour. And every time someone would say that, I'd get offended. You know, and I'd be like, they wouldn't know what they're talking about. Of course, as we grow up, we mature. But um, I wish I was mature back then. You know, and and took on that took on that um, advice, but. You know, as years roll by you sort of learn to you know swallow your pride and and say so, you know you know what he was right I <laughs> should have listened back then so um that's what i'd say to Michael you know michael but you know everything else i'd just say to him you know what do exactly what you're doing continue on that path but you know don't just listen to what i've got to say <laughs> you know because it actually means something that's all i'd say but yeah
0: there you go fantastic uh and and basically to wrap it up we're hoping that we'll get you down for a clinic as soon as this uh COVID-19 situation's over and done with but um in the meantime how do we find out about more about Michael Dolce how do we I know you've got some lesson material and programs on your website just tell us what we can do to to get get access to you or hear from you or keep in touch what can our listeners do
1: oh look I'm I'm on Facebook and Instagram um under Michael Dolce, uh, Instagram, I think it's Michael Dolce music. Um, and I've got my website, www.michaeldolcemusic.com. I've got a whole bunch of, um, you know, uh, lesson packages on there. I've got a lot of transcriptions from solos that i played that are on YouTube. Um, you know, and I'm always up for a chat, you know, if you, if you need any advice, I'm always up, you know, send me an email, a message on Facebook, you know, I'd love to hear from you. And hopefully like Michael said, if, you know, all this stuff clears down, I can come down there and speak to you all personally. Um, that'd you know, that'd be an absolute honour if I could do that. Well, we'd love to have you down. Michael, it's been
0: an absolute pleasure having you on our podcast. It is the first ever inaugural episode, so you know, we've kicked it off with a bang and, and there was no one, you know, when I was planning out this you were the first person I thought on thought of. So oh,
1: thanks, thanks mate. I no, appreciate that. That's that's really kind of words of you kind of words to say um, kind of you to say that. And hope to do more, mate. I'm I'm here, so give me a shout out, and I'll uh, I'll be back on maybe for episode 100.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll obviously be touching base very regularly, guys. Check out uh, www.michaeldolce.com, or is it michaeldolcemusic.com? Michael Dolce Music dot uh, com yeah fantastic so make sure you check out the stuff from michael uh we'll let you know once his album is out and we'll we'll keep you guys up to date with everything as well but thank you very much michael you have a wonderful day stay safe and we'll see our listeners thank you for listening guys in the next episode
1: thank you michael
0: if you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work be sure to subscribe to this podcast For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.